over the past eight years as a podcaster, I have been receiving emails from listeners throughout that entire time. And people are, you know, they present very differently. Some people are saying, hey, I love the podcast. And some people are emailing saying that they're really suffering from depression or suicide or something. And I, from the beginning, realized that at some point, if I did this thing long enough, one of the listeners would end up having died. And I would be faced with having grief about a listener passing away. I would talk with people who were suicidal or who had a terminal illness. And I, I just wondered when that day would happen. It, it's similar to me being a therapist. Everyone always wonders in, in counseling and in psychotherapy, at, at what point it, is one of my clients, am I going to get that call from a family member saying, that, you know, my patient has killed themselves or has died from something. And it's, uh, it's a terrible thing. It, grief and loss of someone you care about is, is terrible. And being in a professional role is, is different than other kinds of loss and grief. And as a podcaster, I have just waited for that day um, with uh, trepidation, and that day has has finally arrived. One of the listeners to the podcast has died, and he was actually a guest on the show a few years ago. I just found out recently because another listener, listener William, emailed me and said that John Brookshaw had has passed away. He was a young man living in England and was a listener to the podcast. And he had uh, called me to interview me on his radio show in England. If you want to hear that episode, it's titled Sexual Attraction, published February 14th, 2013, I believe. Again, Sexual Attraction. And he was a fascinating guy funny, uh, intelligent, had, he's young in his early twenties. I was friends with him on Facebook. I would see his various humor, uh, that he would post on Facebook. He liked uh, to make fun of himself and to talk about his foibles in life. And so when I heard about him passing away, I was shocked and I asked listener William to to tell me more information, and I asked him if it was okay if I talked about John's passing and uh, talked about what William was providing because I didn't want to disturb them. But listener William said that John would have wanted me to read and to talk about John's passing on the podcast if some good can come out of it. And so that's what I want to talk about today. So listener William was was John's partner and friend. And uh, so here I'm just going to read his emails here. So 
uh, listener William says, I, I lost a loved one that was diagnosed this year with borderline before he died from an overdose. In the weeks prior to his death, I had communicated with his therapist that I had some major concerns about his declining mental health and that the DBT therapy he was doing did not seem to be helping him. Unfortunately, my concerns were dismissed, and I was told that the person's behavior was quite standard for someone suffering from borderline. Sadly, the person's family did not understand his condition and therefore failed to realize how to deal with the situation upon having read more about borderline personality disorder. I know, I now know that the death rates in men are twice that of women. I guess this is because feelings may be bottled up more in males. I believe his borderline manifested as a direct result on the multiple traumas he experienced in his life. So then I emailed him back and I, I said, I'm so sorry for your loss. That's very sad. You were a good friend to advocate for him. So at this point in the email and the messages, I didn't know that this was, he was talking about John. And so William emailed back and he said, he was a great fan of your podcast. Actually, John was a guest on your podcast in 2013. So upon reading this, I freaked out. Uh, I didn't know John Brookshaw had died. Um, and so I asked William for more information. And here is, uh, this is a compilation of a few emails back and forth. This is all William. I was John's friend and partner. I was the first person to find him together with the police as I had reported him as a missing person when I could not find him at his house. He was waiting for me to come home and I was going to go with him to the hospital as he was not feeling well as, as a result of taking crystal meth from someone and he felt something was wrong with it. When I arrived at the house, I could not find him inside, so I called the police immediately, and they arrived and took my statement. When they had finished, we walked outside, and, and when I walked past John's car, I noticed he was in the back seat. The police thought he was sleeping it off, but when they tried to wake him, only then did they realize something was terribly wrong. I knew it was too late by the time we found him, and he was discolored and his eyes were half open, but the officers attempted to resuscitate him and had the paramedics arrive to assist. They pumped his body with the maximum amount of adrenaline they could and spent a good hour trying to revive him, after which he was pronounced dead. The officers ruled it as a suicide, but I think it was an accident I think it was an accidental overdose as he had called me and arranged for me to come and take him to the hospital. So just chiming in here, this is hard to read uh, out loud for me. Um, just letting you know that. It's probably hard to listen to. Okay, uh, continuing. I am guessing he thought he would wait in the car for me, and that's when he drifted off into unconsciousness. He was not an everyday user of these drugs, but used them recreationally about once a month. John had been put on prescription drugs from a young age, so I guess he was always looking for the magic pill or formula that would ease all of his suffering. I was trying to show him that pills were not the answer and that the greatest formula was love, happiness, and friendship, and it was slowly working with him. I know John enjoyed listening to your podcasts, 
And if any good can come from this tragedy in terms of preventing other loss of life, John would approve. I believe John was battling his subconscious, which was constantly putting him in a self-destructive mode. He was making much progress, and we had him signed off on permanent sickness benefit until 2020, which meant he could focus on getting him himself better in the long term. We planned a great deal together, and he loved the projects we were working on together. John was exceptionally intelligent, but very damaged emotionally when I first met him. It was only two weeks of knowing John that he confided in me that had I not spent the first day with him talking and sightseeing around London, he was planning on taking his life that day because of how his ex-boyfriend had treated him. That's when I realized he needed much more support and help. During our time together, I observed the many high-risk situations I would see John get himself into, but I would be there to make sure he was okay and we would then discuss each situation, and he would learn from that. I never would get angry with John as I, as, as I, the more I understood his borderline in his life as a whole, I could see John needed to just be informed about the risks and how to overcome them with the right guidance. I think John was waiting for me to save him as I had done on numerous occasions before the only difference uh, on numerous, sorry. I, I think John was waiting for me to save him as I had done on numerous occasions before. The only difference was I arrived there too late and did not check the back seat of his car as I was expecting him to be in the house. I truly believe that John consciously did not want to kill himself. I do, I do believe that his borderline personality disorder was a result of, of what he experienced in his growing up. Factors like his mom's murder when he was nine. Wow, his mom was murdered when he was nine. That's, that's awful. Him being sexually abused at 13 at his boarding school. Also awful. His father's rejection of John when John came out as gay. Also awful. And the person that died of a drug overdose at one of John's parties in 2014. These things all likely play, played a factor. Okay, so that's the end of the emails from listener William. Yeah, having your mom being murdered when you were nine years old will absolutely likely traumatize you and could absolutely lead to uh, personality issues later on. Being sexually abused at the age of 13, uh, if he was at boarding school, that's uh, you know commonly thought of as a good thing, but... In my experience, it can create all sorts of problems because it's basically you're being abandoned by your family for most of the year. Uh, not all the time, but it can definitely feel that way. Anyway, so it's clear that John had been through a lot uh, and, and um, he was suffering because of that. And it's also clear to me that listener William was a caring friend and partner to John. I'm glad that... Um, John was uh, that John had William in his life. William seems like a very nice, caring person and just the sort of friend that John needed. Um, he also William also sent me some some text messages or some chat messages that John had written. I think the day that he died, or the day before he died, or just soon before he died. And so I I thought I'd share a few lines of what John had sent. 
I'm starting to get in touch with my emotions more and feel more empathy towards others, which I have never been able to do because I've had to shut it off to protect myself. But at the same time, as you say, just be wary and avoid the bad people so you don't have to shut your emotions off. And, I, and I've learned to recognize who the good people are, unquote. So he was, he was developing, and he was, he was learning, and he was striving for, for greater understanding and, and greater empathy for others and for himself, which is great. William also sent me John's recent psych evaluation, which had happened in the month that he died, I think. And the psych evaluation discusses a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Uh, it indicates that John had endorsed eight of the nine criteria. And I read through the entire psych evaluation, and I think the, the borderline diagnosis uh, seemed legit. He was, John was deeply suffering, which is very common for people with borderline, particularly regarding relationship rejection and abandonment. He was frequently thinking about suicide since he was young. He had a lot of drug use to cope with emotional difficulties. And at the end, they had recommended DBT, which I think he had started to engage in. So what can I say about this? Of course, the dominant feeling and the dominant thing I could say is that this is a sad, tragic uh, event. I, I feel tremendously sad about it. It's, it's, it's hard for me. When people die, it's hard for me to, to really realize that they're gone. You know, it's... It's because I didn't live with John and see him on a daily basis. I, I only would t chat with him occasionally. And so to me, he's still out there somewhere on the Internet, you know, and he's not. And so it's a sad, um, difficult thing to, to even comprehend. But at the very least, it's, it's also just it's sad. It's just pure sadness. It also just seems unfair it's too soon. He was a talented, vibrant young man who suffered because of the traumas he went through. He didn't deserve to go. He deserved to be on this planet much, much longer. And it's, it seems unfair. He was traumatized. His mother murdered. His family didn't accept him being gay. He was raped. This leads to what we call borderline, but we, we could also just call relational traumatization. He suffered greatly. He uh, wa was not being treated sufficiently. He was taking a medication that apparently made him extremely tired, an antipsychotic med, which, you know, may have been a good prescription, but honestly, Usually I think when I see borderline people, I say, you know, if the medication is working like a charm, then by all means, let's continue it. But usually it's not. Usually it's just barely working, if at all, because borderline doesn't respond well to meds. So in the same way that grief doesn't respond well to meds, it's, it's just 
it's a tragedy that for them that they can't find a med to make them feel better, but we just don't have that technology. And so he had a side effect from a medication that it made him extremely tired and he slept a lot, like 12 hours a day, what William was saying. So he occasionally took meth as a way of coping, not only with his emotional dysregulation, but also with the side effects of the meds. And uh, I also, it also seems possible he was taking meth to self-destruct uh, as a result of his internalized self-hatred. Uh, you know, often people who are traumatized, particularly people who are raped, they internalize th this self-hatred, not all the time, but, but often will. And that's, that's just like the, the worst tragedy than actually being raped is that for years, if not forever afterwards, the person has this internalized sense of self-hatred because someone else did something horrible to them. And the brain is trying to figure out why me, why did that person do it to me? And it's a natural conclusion to think that it's because I'm a bad person. I deserved it. And I think that John suffered from that, uh, as other people did. And so as a result of him taking these substances to deal with the emotional dysregulation, he accidentally killed himself with these substances. And it, it seems like a lot of things are pointing toward John not trying to commit suicide or not trying to kill himself. It seems likely an accidental death. Having said that, he also was suicidal frequently. So it's it's not as if it's not possible that he was at least playing with recklessness to kill himself. Uh, we'll never know, but um, but there's that. So what can we say? Well, I say we need to help each other more. We need to stop isolating. We need, we need to stop letting people isolate. We need to get better at helping people like this as a society. We need to end the stigma about emotional suffering. You know, this stigma drives people away from treatment. It drives people away from other people. We need to have greater support for people so people don't need to turn to substances. I, I didn't know John very well, but I did know he was passionate about raising awareness of mental issues. And even though he was suffering himself, he also wanted to help others. I know that that's true, and William is, is attesting to that as well. In this way, we could all learn from John. I'm guessing that he'd, wanted, he'd want us to know that, and he'd want us to take action. He would want us to try to prevent this from happening in the future. Now, I, so I, I employ you all listening right now to take action, to really do something. If, if you have something in mind, then go for it. Or if you're already doing something, which I know many of you are, then just keep doing that. Just know that you're doing something already. But if you don't know what to do, and if you don't have something in mind, you're not currently doing something, let me suggest something. In your mind right now, I know you're listening, just, just think in your mind. Think about one person you know who is suffering emotionally. I'm sure you can think of 
at least one person, if not several people. If possible, reach out to that person right now. I'm only going to be talking for about another minute. So just hear me out. At the end of the podcast, contact that person right now. I don't care if it's three in the morning. You can send an email. They'll read it in the morning. That's all you need to do. And if we all did this regularly, we could drastically reduce tragedies like this. Just reach out to that person. Text them. Call them. Poke them on Facebook. Walk up to them and give them a hug. Not only will you be making a difference, but all that love that you're giving will come back around to you. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourself and others because we all deserve it.